This episode of Life of Mine is brought to you by a double whammy sponsor this time. Entech Mining and Drill Cube. First Entech, great supporter of Life of Mine, taking hold of the naming rights for the Legends episodes. Now, I hope when he retires that the Entech founder, Shane McClay, will be interviewed by the next generation of mining podcasts and be touted as a legend himself in the field of mining engineering guaranteed i think check them out on linkedin head over to their website entechmining.com.au hit them up for anything in the fields of mining engineering resource geology geotechnical and ventilation best bloody consultant in the game and our next sponsor jason wasley and the team at drill cube the underground mining one-stop shop in a box they do bloody everything. I'm saying ground support. I'm talking about rock tools, vent bag, poly, all the service crew gear, lighting, lasers. They've got everything and they are shaking things up in the underground mining supply industry. The big kicker is that if you order something from every single little product line, it's still one supplier, one picking slip and one invoice bloody simple check them out drillcube.com give them a follow on linkedin links to the linkedin pages for both entech and drillcube are in the show notes now this episode is another entech airlegger and he would be coming close to the most famous in the industry david bub butler i even did the big flight to stall to do this he's that's how much of a bloody draw card this fella was. Now, whilst being famous for the airleg, he's probably well more well known for his success in the rock drill competition circuit. These nationwide comps where airleggers had races drilling into concrete blocks were bloody out of control in the 80s, 90s and 2000s. And Bub, alongside his great mate Colin Fellows, were the guns at these comps. They'd work Monday to Friday, airlegging, then fly all over the country to compete in these rock drill comps, and they were bloody good at it. And you're going to hear all about the history of these rock drill comps, the cow cutters, the it is bloody awesome. Now, I'll split it up into two parts to keep everyone interested. This is part one. Make sure you listen to part two if you enjoy part one. This episode is a tribute to all the rock drill comps before us today full episode of this yarn is available as a video on youtube head over to life on youtube channel like subscribe all the videos uh heaps of highlight videos on there as well where bub provides some commentary for some of his rock drill videos i think he only provided videos where he won must have been a pure coincidence that one now the episode it's pg but there are some there's some bloody funny stories that bub shared about some of the oh let's say horrific practical jokes he played underground back in the day this guy is not someone you want to mess with it's payback at a level i've never even considered you can get access to those yarns via the podbean patron program for life of mine so if you're not a patron yet Download the Podbean app, follow Life of Mine, click the red dollar button and sign up or head to the uh, link in the show notes. There's also links on the Instagram bio on the Life of Mine website, bloody everywhere. If you're not a patron, you're mad. 
head over and sign up. There's heaps of good yarns on there, heaps of jumbo tutorials. That's the place to be. So let's get into me yarn with David Bub Butler. It's a ripper. Here we go. Thanks very much for bloody. Oh, no worries, I was, Maddie. I was anticipating on the way. I'm like, I can't wait to feel his handshake. They're bloody oh, all those yeah, years legging, mate. Yeah, I'll try not to squeeze. <laughs> I've had to keep my jacket on. I better get the old bloody sponsor out. Old bloody, you, mate, you've drawn enough attention to get a sponsor for me. Drill cube. Oh, Jesus. Jason right, Wosley, good. thanks for sponsoring the trip, Wosley. Good on you, mate. But, uh, mate, uh, Dave, I know everyone knows you as Bub Butler. Yeah. But Dave Butler, I've been, someone said you actually, Bub's a, it's a family nickname, is it? You actually preferred being called Dave, do you? No, um... I'd rather be called Bub, actually, because... Oh, really? Oh, Eric stitched me up then. He says, oh, don't call it... Uh, he rather's, he rather's Dave. Don't call him Bub. <laughs> I wouldn't... Don't believe anything that Eric Cowan says. Yeah, right? yeah, um, no. Oh, that's no, the one um, thing I believed. <laughs> because my father's name was David, so mum, they call me Bub from a baby, basically, and it stuck. Yeah. And then um, it stuck with me, and then my stepfather came along when I was about four or five, and his name's David as well. So Bub's always been with me. So everyone through my whole life has always called me Bub. Oh, there you go. So, mate, we're going to – cannot wait for today with the – going to do a big history of the – this was specifically requested by Stan Gilman. He says you've got to go over and, like, nail down the history of the uh, the rock drilling competitions with uh, with Bub because, as you said, it's a – like it's a dying – well, it's not a dying thing, but compared to what it was, yeah, it used pretty, to be on bloody steroids, didn't it? It was full on. You know, like most competitions, you go – so basically I think it, for me, um, I think it started in Rosemary 1971 or 72, and I remember there's a picture of me in the crowd, and I only found it a couple of years ago. Someone put a picture of it up on the Rosemary Oval when they had two stands – so 1971, and I'm in the crowd, and I think I was 16. I thought, geez, this is not bad. And then, um, and I think Roseby started because Western Australia already had theirs going over in Western Australia. And I think within the next few years after that, that's when the WA boys started coming over. And I was, yeah. you know, Brian Park and then Bob Ledgerini and Werner Borchardt and Stanko and all them come over and uh, Dave McNally. Yeah. And, um, and it just went out of control. It's probably in the mid-70s. And Rose, we used to get about 120 drillers, and then they used to ballot the last 10 out. West Australia used to get like 80 drillers, and all of a sudden, within a matter of years, there was like about 26 competitions all around of Australia. It was just, you'd nearly be travelling every weekend to go to a rock drill. It was just unbelievable, and the prize money was just sensational. Yeah. It was really good. So leading up to, I guess, your involvement in it, how long had you been, I guess, on the air leg? When did you get into air legging before the, I guess, the rock drill? Because you, you, you'd be more, you, you're more famous for the rock drill side than the actual air legging side. Probably, of the, as yeah. you said, you're bloody, you're famous in South Africa and you've never even bloody been there. No, um, for me, I suppose my dad, my original father was a miner, my stepfather was a miner, and we went to Rosebury when I was about 13. So basically, I grew up in Rosebury in a mining town. Um, I started working underground at Rosebury for GEC in the shaft when I was 17 because you could work with a contractor in Rosebury when you were 17, but you had to be actually 19 to go underground. So as soon as that contract finished, 
and I actually turned 18. I ended up going to Queenstown. I stayed over there for 12 months. And um, when I turned 19, I come back to Rosebury. But um, while I was in Queenstown, um, because I was flat out on the airleg over there doing ground support, um, the mine asked myself and this Pat Burke, I never forgot it because it held me in good stead for later on in life. Um, they asked us to go on the Alamac. These two guys on the Alamac, they wanted to split them up so they could get everything happening twice as quick. And that was on the Tuesday, and I've gone, yeah, that'd be great. And Pat Burke's going, yeah, that'd be great. I think it was on the Thursday or the Friday, I think they blew themselves up, killed themselves, obviously. Um, and it was a few months later they actually found out what happened. They were shooting debts with the pressure cattle back in those days. They never had the Venturi loaders. And from then on, I thought to myself, Jesus, if I had went up there, I wouldn't have known any difference, and we would have been gone as well. So that always put me in good stead to make sure as far as the mining side of it goes, I'll try to do everything um, as correct as I possibly could not to hurt myself or anyone else. How old were you then? I was only 18. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then, oh, and, 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 you know, and, and getting back to Rosebury, when I was 17 there, I remember I was outside and we had to build these rock walls this day and um, Kevin Hunter, um, the safety guy there, said to myself and Colin Smith, he said, Bub, can you give me a lift? And... I was, and mine was right beside the hospital. I mean, it was part of it. And I thought the shed out the front of the hospital was like a, a garage or something. And the ambulance was pulled up there and he had the back doors open. Anyway, and he said, can you give it a lift? And there was a stretcher there with a set of gun boots. And I'm going, oh, my God, there's someone dead on it. So 17. Anyway, we carted the stretcher in and rolled this guy out on the table and he had a rock in his fist about that, you know, as big as my fist in his face. And I found out that him and his brother were sitting there in the stope underground having a cigarette and the hangar wall fell in and one got killed and one oh, didn't. Oh, in the stope. In the yeah, stope, right. yeah. And, um, and I thought, I was always thinking back then, you know, how easy it was and as growing up in Rosewood, you know, like you always had one or two deaths every year. It was just probably right across Australia back in those days. It was a given thing. And, but I still wanted to have a crack at mining. I, you know, I, I had, my heart was set on mining. And I, that's what I got into it, and I've been into it now for 50 years. I'm still doing it, unfortunately. It's like, it'd be like a sport, isn't it? It's like retiring from a sport you'd hate. You wouldn't be able to nearly – it'd be a tough thing to give up after doing it for so long, wouldn't it? Look, it is a tough thing to give up, and the thing I like about it now is um, a lot of times I get a chance to try to train people because, um, as I was saying before, I just don't think people get trained properly in this day and age. Back in our days – we might have had to stay with a miner for five years before we was classified as a miner. I was actually lucky because when I went back to Rosebury when I was 19, I think the guy that I was working with, we went rising straight off the bat. So within three months, I was by myself. Yep. So I had to, you know, I had to figure it out by myself. And back in those days, you worked in pairs. So it wasn't too bad. Yeah. What, um, so I guess. Fast forward to the rock drill side because yep. we're going to go through the the whole oh, yep. the whole how it started, the the peak of it, the the cow cutters, the, oh. the everything. It's 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 un, it's just such a. I've been bloody. I couldn't sleep last night. I was that <laughs> bloody excited. We've even got some videos to commentate on that yep. you've uh, provided. Yep. When you, I guess, when you're 18, back when you first started, was were the rock drilling comps around then or first off say what a bloody rock drilling comp is for people that do not know you're going to see lots of videos <coughs> well a rock drilling competition is you know um you're not actually drilling a rock you're drilling a tube of concrete it could be four inches 
or six inches or eight inches round, all depends on what state you're going to. It could be in a plastic pipe or it could be in a steel pipe or it could be in cardboard. And it's normally about 750 mil long. So basically you have four stands. The competitors start from the front of the stand or the back of the stand if you're over in the eastern states. You run out, put the pitch of steel in, pick the machine up, you drill into a, a 300 mil mark on the tape and then do a steel change and you, and you, and you, you bore through and hit the backing plate. Um, in saying that too, you might have a six inch block on the front, but at the black you've got another plate that comes in like that. So if you try to drill along the side, you can't get out. So you've got to be, you've got to be fast and very accurate as well. Yeah. And is, is the concrete, is it a certain spec? Like it has to, I assume it has to be pretty hard. Like I've never drilled through concrete, um, really. Yeah, um, Rosebury used to have the hardest. This was 32 NPA, solid eight-inch blocks. Yeah. And it's always hard to collar on theirs. And if they break away, you're obviously going to jam in the side. The best spec for concrete that we've worked out over the years is 20 NPA and 5 mil ag. Anything bigger than that, it gets too hard or whatever or if you get any softer than that it gets too crumbly so 20 and 20 mpa and five more ag is the actual perfect mix and and how do you relate it to drilling into say virgin rock underground is, oh, it, is it pretty similar or different feel um, different no drilling the concrete oh there are there's some rock types similar to concrete underground but um there's that many different types of rock underground you, you know you, you go to west australia you've got SERP, so I remember Stenko telling me years ago when I was over there that he had a three foot, a five foot, and an eight foot steel, and he had them for 18 months. Yeah. And that was integral steel, so you didn't even send them out to get them sharpened. Oh, right. You just left the bit on there. No, no, bit integral steels. Oh. So, yeah, the chisel bit ones. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, so he had them for 18 months. So, you got that type of rock, then you might go to somewhere else like Norseman. That's probably the hardest rock I've ever drilled down there, which is black basalt, and it's you know, sometimes one or two steels a hole. Okay, uh, then like you, Bellevue would have been the same. Bellevue was a bit hard, not as hard as Norseman. Then you've got Longshaft when we was there, had green basalt, and then you've got some mines. I've only ever struck it in Rosebury, and that was um, that ironstone, and that you could still have sparks coming out of your hole, like when you're th 300 mil up the hole. Yeah, right. So, yeah, it's really hard to compare the rock underground with uh, concrete, but um, probably uh, waste rock or mullock is um, probably the closest it's going to be to it, as long as it's not basalt. Yeah. So when as when you were 18 around Rosebury, were yep. rock drilling comps around, were they happening then? They were happening. They, I think they started when I was about 17. As I said, there's a picture of me in the crowd there when I was 17, and there was only two stands on the on the oval then. So yep. it started with the Rosebury Carnival. So there was running, wood chopping and cycling, and it was on the ground in, back in those days. And then... Um, I started drilling, I think I had my first drill when I was 19. I didn't even get through the block. I think I ran into the thing at the back. Mm. And that's when they moved off the ground and they had the four stands and they was beside the grandstand at Rosebury and set up that arena there. And um, and it just sort of snowballed out of control from there and it just got massive. Like the boys from West Australia used to come over. They come from Queensland, New South Wales. Um, they just come from everywhere, and they, and you know you say because it, it was only in Tasmania at that point. Uh, no, no, it? it was just starting to go everywhere. It was in Western Australia, but I think Rosebery was you know the say the second one, and all of a sudden these other ones yep. started popping up. Oh, so WA had the first I'm one. Pretty sure they? the WA had the first one. Yeah. Um, oh, I did hear. <coughs> sorry about that. I did hear that their uh, rock drill started over there because. Um, 
this is the rumour has it that a couple of guys, you know, get out and have a bit of a fight to see who the best miner was underground. <laughs> so then they wanted to get rid of that. Then they had a, a drilling competition. So, so that's <laughs> how yeah, that, that sounds plausible. So, so that's yep, how it yep. started over there. Um, I think, look, as far as trend setting goes, the Tasmanian rock drill was the elite. Yeah. You know, the West Australia boys will probably disagree and say that theirs were. Um, the best thing about the Tasmanian one, everything was even. Uh, the machines were all tested to make sure they was absolutely as close as they possibly could get, so that if you so you didn't take your own machine, you had to no, use what was provided. It was all, all all supplied and provided. And Rosemary back in those days, I, I can remember they had twelve Panther machines, and they would bore concrete up at the mine and time the hole, and get the four closest machines, and then tag the next ones closest to it after they've been repaired, mind yeah. you. And that's how they had the rock drill set up. And very rarely at Rosemary would you got one machine that was faster than the other. And that yeah. made it really fair. And that's why everyone come over. And that's why all of a sudden it got to 80 drillers, 90, 100, 120. Just at, just at the one At the one drill. And it was a two-day yeah. event. And it got that big that they had, the, they had that many um, people entered. And, uh, they had uh, 140 competitors. And they had to bill it. Uh, the last, like, I think, eight or whatever out because it was massive. Yeah. And because it was a two-day event, um, they couldn't let it get any bigger because, you, you know, you've got the singles, then you've got the doubles, you know, you've got the four-man teams and all that sort of stuff. <coughs> and um, it, just, it just went out of control. It was – I can't explain to it. And the crowd that used to get to that Rosebud Rock Drill, there'd be 2,000 people plus there. All the time, and it was just, and people would travel from everywhere. It was all in the papers in Tassie. As I said, the West Australia boys come over. Then I never ever went to Western Australia and, until I went over there in '82 to work at Norseman, and that's when I started drilling over there. And I realised, oh, geez, the West Australia boys—they were always the ones to beat. They, every time they come to Tassie, uh, they seemed to be winning um, because their style was a bit different. How they used to do the steel change. Um, back in the days at Rosemary, they'd pick the steel up, put it in the hole, go back with the machine and air leg and put the machine on it. Whereas the West Australians had it drilled in the ground and they'd grab it and put it straight in. Up. So we had to convert to that way to keep, mm. keep up with them. But Tassie was definitely the trendsetters. Uh, Western Australia, they had that many drills over there in the end. But the difference in the machines, you know, a lot of the rock, you know, a lot of the rock drills you'd go to over there, sometimes you might have a machine that was five or seven seconds slower than the other. So it didn't matter whether you were superhuman, the fastest driller in the world, if you got that machine, you wasn't going to do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why it was unfair. And we used to complain all the time over there, but they said, it is what it is. Yeah. Jeez, the, sound, the, the, the energy and the, the time they put into prepping it in Tassie lot, that is very meticulous. By oh, the they were very meticulous in Tassie, yeah. And even in the end, they... Um, Western Australia and Tassie end up getting together and I'm pretty sure they had a meeting in Adelaide at one stage and um, they wanted to sort some rules out and stuff like that. West Australia didn't want to change from their three foot to five foot steels they have over there because Tassie uses like twos and fours. All the eastern state used twos and fours. Over there they use um, uh, threes and fives. Well, they did at that stage. Um, and Rosemary come up with a... Um, the colour of the stands, if you have a look at the colour of the stands at Rosemary, you've got um, red, green, yellow and blue, and you've got the black machines out the front. Now, that was designed on the Olympic flag if you spin it round the other way. 
Oh, the, yeah, the rings. So if you yeah, turn it yeah, over. So yeah. if anyone ever asked me what the colour of the Olympic flag is, I can tell them straight off the bat. And <laughs> I only know it because of the rock drill stands. Yep. Yeah, so that's how they come up with that concept. And um, a few other towns followed suit. And it was, um, yeah, it was just, it's hard to explain that how this thing, it was like a raging bushfire. Yeah, it was just massive, and you know, and it's like it's like a form of social media these days, isn't it? Like oh, back then, it's just something that yeah. just went nuts, and <laughs> yeah. and it's like viral. It's like so. the cow cutters in Roseby. Like the cow cutters used to get up to ten, twelve, fifteen thousand. And I remember, you know, like I never ever really bought myself in a cow cutter. My brother Kerry he bought me a couple of times and won some money. Lucky him. You can't get a cut off. Yeah, no, <laughs> KB always <laughs> he, he always <laughs> looked after me. Um, uh, the cow cutters, you know, I remember one year at Rosebury that uh, Colin and I were the favourites and um, I took the punt and bought myself for $2,500. I bought Colin for 1500 so it was first and second, so I outlaid four grand and the cow cutter was worth twelve. So I'd won eight. So plus, what, and plus, what, was, what year was this? Not oh, early 80s or late 80s? Uh, it'd be towards the end of the 80s, maybe so early four, 90s. four grand then is probably a good... 10, 15 now. Yeah, so, right, basi- yeah. so basically I won eight grand, uh, won, what, um, eight grand out of the Calcutta. There was three grand first prize. Colin got, I think, two for second. So Rosemary used to have three, two, one, and then 500 for fourth. So they had always had the best prize money, always had the best prize money. That's why everyone wanted to come over there. And they come over there because it was the fairest rock drill but it was the hardest, in saying that, it was always the hardest one to win. So the cow cutter, how, explain how that whole concept worked. Was that in the whole, was that the cow cutter part of the rock drill comp the whole time or that evolved? No. That, and, and how did the cow cutter work? <coughs> um, that evolved. Um, I remember I was only about 18 in the bottom pub at Rosemary and seeing all these big beefy miners there and the boys coming from way. They used to hold it in the bottom pub at Rosemary all the time. Every year they had it. And um, I don't know. I don't know actually how it evolved. I just someone decided to run a, a book on the Calcutta, so that that's how it evolved. And then I think a few years after that, because Rosemary was a two-day event, mm. so when it got to the final twelve, so on the Saturday you all drilled and you were well, these guys are in the final twelve. On Saturday night they'd hold another Calcutta for the final twelve. Yeah. So and so how did it work? So whoever's there, people could buy yep. someone. You bidded. Did it? Was everyone? Everyone wasn't the same price. You, it was a no, it was, you, you auctioned off each miner. You, you know, you'd say, oh, Dave, you know, say, just say, oh, Dave Butler's up now. Um, what can we get? Someone, $100. Someone might go $120, $150. So basically, so it's it was like, a, so it's an auction. It, it was yeah. like an auction. I was, I was just bidding. And yeah. whoever bid the highest price in the end, you know, it, Got that driller, and that, and so all the all the bids that went in as that was the pool of money, was it? Yeah, the pool of money. There was all yeah. Just say they had fifteen thousand dollars of cow cutter money. Um, the majority of it went to first. Then there was a second place, and then I think the Rosby Rock Drill Club might have kept like five percent. It wasn't okay. much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was pretty well given. Oh, so they split it up based <laughs> on how much was oh, how yeah, much yeah. was bid. Yeah. So when you were first watching back when you when you were seventeen in the crowd, as yep. you said, who were the who was the bub and the Collins back then? Who were the oh. who were the big dogs from? As you said, the WA ones were the ones to keep up with then. Who were the big names that were coming over in um, that era? Bob Ledgerini, um, he, he'd come may, over. May he rest in peace. Yeah, uh, yeah Bob. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
and I didn't actually know, even back in those days, um, even though I was full on playing footy and everything like that, I didn't actually know that Bob Ledger Rooney actually come over to work at Rosebury in the early days. And I think it must have been the early, or the late 60s or the early 60s. He come over and he actually played football for the Turak Football Club over there. And he worked there. He worked in Rosebury. And I didn't ever know that until years and years later. Then you got Werner Borchardt used to come over, um, Stanko. Um, Johnny Urovich come over. I think he was actually yep. the first Western Australia to come over. And I remember seeing him drill and I thought, God, this guy's quick. And he should have won that day. He just didn't put his bridle down and shot the steel out of the machine because he had everyone. He was just a mile in front. Yeah. Um, then you got Brian Parkin used to come over and then Brian Parkin ended up coming to Tassie um, and living over there for a while. He actually used to live right next door to me in Rosemary and we played footy for the same team, myself and Brian. Um, who else used to come over? Dave McNally come over. So it was a fair few boys come over from West Australia in the early days. It was a big trip for them, um, but there was a lot of prize money and it was always spread out quite evenly. Yeah. And it was yeah. just a good weekend away. Yeah. So when, I guess, your pathway into the uh, the rock drilling, when was your first one? Uh, I think I was 19. Yep. So about 1974, yeah, I would have been 19. Yeah. How'd you go? Terrible. I never got through. I don't think I got through. I never got through. I don't think I – and you only had the one drill. <coughs> I never got through and I thought to myself, God, you know. And As I, in like you didn't get through the I, I, I comp never, or you didn't get through the end? I, I never I never bought out the back. I hit the, the ring at the back. And I think I'd done it maybe two years in a row. And one year I was a favourite. You know, I, I was – I was really fast. I was always um, very fast on my legs. I was a really top-class runner when I was going to school and everything like that, and even when I was playing footy. So the speed in the legs wasn't a problem. I just had to get the brain to be able to make sure the hands and the feet and everything was working in the same sync. There, there's a lot. There would have been a lot there's going a, there's on. There's a lot going on, and, and and that's and that's the secret to rock drilling. And um, yeah, as I said, and I never done any good for the first couple of drills, and. Um, and then it wasn't until I think I ended up winning the doubles at Rosebery with um, Rodney Sumner, and then it wasn't long after that I think I ended up West, going to Western Australia, yeah. and um, I went to Norseman, and then the Rockdale was obviously there. Then when I went to Camp Boulder, and I realised how big it was in Western Australia because Rosebery at that stage there was only the Rosebery drill, and so when I've gone over there, you had Norseman, Camp Boulder, Kalgoorlie, at Coolgardie. And there was Marvel Lock and then there was Laverton and oh god, it's big over here. So while I was at the long shaft, I got the boiler maker there to make me a rock drill stand. And I was living in Saltbush Road in one of the company houses and I had it in my yard and I used to only only draw I never had a compressor, I just picked the machine up and make another colon. I had a hole board in three hundred million one end, so I'd swap it over and then I'd practice a steel change. So I was doing this every night after work. And then I took that same stand up to, <coughs> sorry about that, took the same stand up to Linster with me. Yeah. And I just kept practicing and practicing and until I yeah, got it down pat. But even when you get it down pat, you've only got to make the smallest mistake and you're gone. There's that many good drillers in Australia, like anyone of the top 20 could win on the day. And that was, back in those days, that was really hard to win a rock drill competition. So when I first started, as I said, Bob Leggerini um, was the legend. He'd won, I think, 14 rock drills or 15 rock drills. Um, and as I said, uh, one of the T-shirt pictures I sent you of the Marvel Lock from 1983, I've still got that T-shirt. That was my first ever win. I drilled off against Bob Leggerini. And 
I just couldn't believe that I'd beat the world champion and then I beat him again later in the year at the Perth show. And um, in the end, after when I won my 15th or 16th title, I think that's when Ledger gave it away after that because I'd actually beaten his record. Yeah. So it's like uh, Peter Brock, Craig Lowndes. The, uh, yeah. There's a bit of a handover, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 And, um, but, you know, since then, everyone sort of surpassed Ledger because I suppose back in his days, there was only one or two rock drills, whereas in our days, as I said, you know, there was 26. Um, I won't even bother reeling off the Western Australia. See, then you had um, Northern Territory. They had one in Alice Springs. And I think my brother actually won that up there one year. They had that the Fred Pass show in Darwin. Then you go Mount Isa. Then you go Gympie. Then you go Broken Hill. Then you go Cobar. Um, Cobar Twilight Drill. Then you go to Victoria. It was Castlemaine, Bendigo. You go to Tas... Rosemary, Queenstown, Zion, Kew River, Burnie yeah. Show, Hobart Show. That was just Sydney Show over the side. That I was even just, added at Sydney Show, yeah. Yeah, right. that one where um, I won with my brother in the doubles. That was the first ever inaugural uh, Sydney Show ones uh, put on by Atlas Coppo. Um, they just they had them everywhere and it was just everyone wanted to do it. Like any, any mining game. See, we used to work like eight-hour shifts and that's why they could do it. Now everyone works FIFO or Drivo, or drive in and out or in the 12-hour shifts and on the roster all the time. That's mm. gone. Yeah. How many, did you say it was in the 20s? How many, at one point, how many rock drill comps were in one year? Oh, about 26. 26, I remember I think I worked it out about 26. Yeah. So basically, you know, you're nearly travelling every every weekend or every second weekend. It and was yeah, just, and you, did you do all, or pretty close to the 26 that uh, year? Of? Those years? Um, back in those days, yeah, we tried to, um, probably when we was in West Australia, it was actually hard to get over the eastern states. Um Linster sponsors that uh, Agnew Mine sent a team of two of us to Cobar one year to Broken Hill and Cobar. But unless someone sponsored you from the mine or if the mine sent you, um, you had to pay your own way. So a lot of guys didn't actually travel in the state. Yeah. You know, um, it was pretty costly. Because you were doing, so you're working, it was, was it Monday to Friday? Monday to then, Friday, and yeah. Weekends off were, well, weekends were for rock drill yeah, comps. So, yeah, so, basi <laughs> so basically every rock drill comp was always on a Saturday. Yeah. Oh, so, so you'd be hightailing it. Yes, red -eyed of yeah, well, so, yeah. Yeah, so you had to, you know, you had to um, head out on a Friday if you're going to fly anywhere. Yeah. And it's like, um, even Friday after work, if you, like we, when we was in Linster, if we had to go to the Perth show or to Marvel Lock or to Norseman, you'd have to head out Friday because, you know, it's like it's a fair old drive from, say, Linster down to Marvel Lock. What is it, four and a half hours? Is it five hours? Oh, something like something that. Something like yeah, that. Yeah. And the thing is, though, the rock drill starts at like uh, nine o'clock in the morning. Yep. Um, and there's no way known you're going to get up at two <laughs> o'clock in the morning to drive down there to rock drill. You had to go the night before. So that's what we all, all did back in those days. Yeah, because you could make a you you could have nearly parked up work for the year and just made a full time rock drill living. Yeah, um, or did you consider it at any point? Oh, look, I was making some good money out of it. Don't worry, but because with the the comp and the cow cutter, yeah, yeah, uh, there's only um, Cobar had cow cutters, uh, Broken Hill had cow cutters, Mount Isa had cow cutters, Rosebery, um, I think there was only one over in West Australia or one or two. They didn't really have that many cow cutters over there. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry about that. I suppose because they had to, the cow cutter always had to be held the night before. So for the Western oh, Australia, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, so I know what you mean. with Rosemary, they all got there on the Friday. Yep. 
um, and they had the Calcutta. The same as if you went to Cobar or Broken Hills or Calcutta yeah. the night before, always the night before. Jeez, it would have been um, – should be a big – you'd be a bit rough for work going back Monday, wouldn't you, after those – because I'd imagine the uh, the after party of the rock drill, oh. especially after you win one and you got a bit of um, – there's a bit of adrenaline in the body after it. Should be a big night on the sore, sort of magic. Um, not for me or Colin. Um, we've sort of never really been big drinkers. Um, that's probably why we've done so well. You're in better nick than ever. Well, <laughs> it's because, um, like, um, my dad um, was been an alcoholic all his life. Even him and mum split up when I was about four, I think. So he died when I was just turned about 17, I think. Um and he drunk himself to death, and I thought to myself, there's no life doing that. Um, I've never been one to have a beer after work or um, like that. I see all the others having it. Some, you know, some people have half a dozen, some have a dozen every night. So if we was to pay our money to go to a rock drill competition, I look at it this way. Why do I want to go over there and get on the beer the night before at the Calcutta, wake up the next morning crook, and then you yeah. can't perform at your peak? Yeah. I'm there. Like, uh, it's good to go and catch up with all your friends and the guys you haven't seen for a long time and, and dribble shit about mining because that's what we all, all did do. And it was great times. But I didn't want to go over there and be crook. I went there to try to win. Mm. And if you go there to try to win, um, you can't afford to get on the piss. Uh, after it was finished, we used to have a few beers, but even then... I wouldn't let it get out of control because we had to get home the next day. And get to work. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the yeah. That'd be the hard thing, balancing the the the, the job and the and the, I guess the sports life. Because it was a it's, it's a it was a sporting life. It was a sport. Yeah, it yeah. was full like on you're, sporting you're life. Pre, yeah. It's a profession you're pretty much a professional sportsman, as you said, you yeah. got to, yeah, and you had to treat it that way if yeah. you wanted to win. Um, oh, look. Um you had to treat it that way because um for me, I've always been very competitive all my life, you know, like, you know, I played football at the highest level. You know, I went to the AFL or the VFL back then. Um, and football, basketball, golf. I got right into that sort of stuff. And running, I was Tasmanian under-14s sprint champion, you know, for years when I was under-14. I think I was 11. I, 11, I think I broke the uh, Tasmanian record of 11 seconds for 100, meter, 100 yards back in those days. So I was always competitive. But the only way you can stay competitive in anything is you've got a bit of a clear head. And if it's if it's clouded by if your judgment's clouded by alcohol, well, you know what it's like. Even if you go to work, you're crook. You like instead of getting two or three cuts, yeah, you, know, you might be struggling to get one. But as I said, it was a, a a sport. It was a professional sport. Sometimes we had sponsors. Sometimes we didn't. Some people wouldn't give us any money, but they say, "Would you like to wear our t-shirt?" So we was representing a company. And we tried to do it in a professional way. So it, 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 when I went back to Tassie and then Colin and I got back together, um, we tried to treat it as a professional thing that we were doing. We had to. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been as successful as we have. Yeah. Now, we'll get into, this, I guess, how the whole sponsorship side of things work. But you and um, yourself and Colin, yep. you're obviously a well-known um you wouldn't. It's an air legging, not a romantic couple, an air legging couple. Yeah, um, no, I think he kissed me on the neck once. No, no did he? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> After probably a victory. Well, yeah, probably. Well, yeah. How did um, how did that 
um, alliance friendship come about? When did you first run into each other? Did you work together or uh, was um, it in rock drilling or where did that come We've about? never worked together and we've always talked about it. And even up to the last couple of years, I said to Colin, I would have loved to have worked with him. We're trying to work out if we can actually still do it sometime. Um, how we met... When we was moving from Launceston down to Rosebury. Colin Fellows were talking about yeah, Colin for everyone Fellows, that um, yeah. knows, but I think you, you'd, you would have figured it out by yeah. now. So. so we was moving from uh, from Launceston down to Rosebury when I was just turned 13 and was moving to a place called Williamsford. And um, so Mum and David went down in the car and has taken our, our black cat, Tiger. I, I've got to put him in because the story's – anyway um, – so we've gone down with Brian Jago in the truck and all the furniture and we've got down there and um, Mum and David's already there, obviously, and um, the cat was playing up on the way down. Anyway, Mum kept um, filling it up with um, calming tablets she got off the vet. <laughs> calming good. Man. Anyway, good he, di it. he died. Yeah. So it went forward and it was cold and wintry and back in those days the shed out the back was the toilet and everything in, in it. So... I put a towel on the shelf and I put the black cat up there. But it was anyway, when I was going down, Brian Jago said to me, he said, Bob, I reckon you'd be I reckon you and Colin would get on really well. I said, Oh right, who's that? And he said, Oh, Colin Fellows. He said, I've just got a feeling you to get on really well. <coughs> and he said to Kerry, he said, I think you and Ricky Craig might be friends. Anyway, that's how it worked out. Kerry and Ricky were really good friends and Colin come over and meet me and we end up being really good friends. But Colin's come over anyway. He's going, oh, anyone home? I remember I was in the shed out the back and I was we were going through the cardboard boxes, obviously carting stuff inside. Anyway, and he's going, hey, go, my name's Colin. I said, oh, I'm Bub. Pleased to meet you. Anyway, look, we're both only 13. And Colin was a big boy back in those days. Like he was a, a big boy. Anyway, um, he's standing there and I'm looking at him anyway and he's patting the cat. And it's laying on the shelf, on the tower. And he's patting it, talking away, you know, what do you do? Do you play football? Do you do this? Do you do that? And I'm going, oh, yeah. And, he's, and after about five minutes, he's still patting the cat, and he's going, geez, this cat's tame. It's not, it's not even moving. I've said, no, it's been dead for two days. <laughs> anyway, so that's how our friendship started. <laughs> oh, uh, in respects to the cat, obviously. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, how yeah. it started. <laughs> anyway, ever since then, it's been like a bit of a trick. <coughs> a bit of a trick and torment and play ga games on everyone. And then two weeks later, we were going down to Granville. I'll get, I'll get this story how we gelled, that's all. Um, was going down to Granville and was in on the back of Brian Jago's truck and we had a big shed on there, was taking it down to his shack. And I was really excited. I'm going, where's the sea? Where's the sea? And was going for his end and I'm standing out the door of the truck like this, the shed looking like this and where's the sea? And uh, Colin and this uh, Brian's brother was in the back and they're going, just sit down anyway. And I'm going, I want to see the sea. I'm going like this. Anyway, and I sat back down and Colin's got up and stood at the doorway. Anyway, and he's going, oh, I can see the ocean. Quick, quick, bub, come over. And I stuck my head out. And as soon as I stuck my head out, the shed door, a big branch hit me <laughs> and knocked me straight back in. And he said, remember that dead cat? I went, <laughs> And it's been like that for 50, like it's been like that ever, ever since we're 13. Yeah. Basically, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we've been friends all that time. We sort of went our separate ways when I went to Western Australia and then when we come back. While I was in Western Australia, that's when Colin got into the rock drilling side of things. Um, and when I come back, we teamed up in the doubles and everything like that and we've sort of been doing it ever since. Yeah. And it's been a really – and the best thing about Colin is – even though we're really, really good friends and mates, um, and I'm the same with him, 
we never judge each other. We never give anyone, we, ne- we don't, don't give each other advice if, in our personal life if something's gone wrong. It's just, we don't talk about any of that stuff. It's just um, a mateship that's really hard to explain, actually. It's like, he's just probably the most unbelievable friend anyone can have. Is and he I, your best mate? Would you class it, him as your best I, mate? I'd class him as my best mate, like um, um, on the same level as my brother, actually. Um, he is really, really good. Like, I just love the man, yeah. There's nothing I wouldn't do for him. Um, and it's just been an absolute pleasure, the ride that we've had over the, over the years on this rock drilling thing. And to be as mates, to do it together, and as I said, I've always said to Colin, if I get in the grand final, I want you to get in the grand final because I don't care if I lose to you. Mm. And, 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 and I don't say that to many people. I don't say that to any people, actually, only Colin. Because mm. if I get in the grand final, I want to win. And Colin knows I want to win, even if he's in there with me. Yeah. So when, when you met up in, in WA, in the rock drilling side of things, yep. were you the, the two top dogs then? Uh, no, when I, I come back to Rosebury, I think in about 87, 87, I, left, I went to WA in 82 and I'd done all my thing over there and I was drilling in the doubles with Maisie and all that sort of stuff. Then I came back to Tassie. And I drilled at the Q River, had a rock drill on, and Colin was there. Anyway, he was the top dog in Tassie. Anyway, I've come back, and we both got in the grand final of the singles, and I beat him. And we teamed up after that. But when we went to the Sydney show, um, he went with the Tasmanian team because there was, like, uh, Tasmanian had their separate colours, you know, uh, yellow and green. New South Wales had the two-tone blue. Queensland had the maroons. WA had the yellow and black, if you see their T-shirts. Mm. So it was a last-minute thing. That must have been when I first came back from WA. So it was a last-minute thing for Kerry and I to go to the Sydney show. So we tried our hardest to get in. We managed to get in because WA didn't have a full team. So we represented WA, even though I was living in Tassie, mm. at that Royal East of Sydney show in 1986. So it was after that that Colin and I started drilling in the doubles and we've just never stopped since. Yeah. Yep. yep. So the tally. What's the what did the tally end up? I guess the the sink you you versus Colin. Would you was Colin the so he was your biggest competitor oh. essentially for the whole thing. Yeah. A, a majority of the thing. Yep. Have you kept a tally? Um in the singles. I, I don't know who's in look, I think I might have just pipped him. Are the other versions is his tally different no, than yours? He, well, look <laughs> if if we're drilling off in the grand final and none of us make a mistake, right, it's going to be the closest thing to a death that you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. And it is. It's happened on two occasions before. And I've watched the video and I'm thinking, I made a mistake there and he's pipped me. He's made a mistake there and I've pipped him. Yeah. So whoever, whoever makes the first mistake is probably going to lose. Whereas against anyone else, you're probably not going to get beat. But against Colin, I'm going to get beat. Or um, Colin does it against me, I'm going to beat him. So any time I got into a grand final, I was always confident of winning. Except and, unless him. if Colin was in there. Because yeah. I knew, <laughs> I knew, like, we're both – Yeah, I don't care what anyone says. We're not trying to brag or anything. Like, we have proven ourselves to be the fastest rock dealers in Australia. You know, we, we, I've drilled the fastest times and everything like this. We've won, I've won the most competitions. I've won 112 singles titles. Bob Ledger Rooney, I think, won 14. 
Colin, I think, is the next closest. I think he's got about 38. So I've actually had a really good run. I was quite lucky. Um, I've probably won more than any other, say, eight guys put together. But I had to put the time in. I had to do the travelling. We travelled And every, the discipline you talked yeah, about before. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the drinking and stuff like that. We had to travel. You know, not many people know it, but, you know, everyone says, oh, yeah, you're chasing the circuit around because of the money. Um, no, we were chasing the circuit around because we wanted to win. Um, and I think, as says, Bob Ledgerini set the trend back in those days because he ended up being the world champion. And I thought, oh, geez, I wouldn't mind being a world champion. I wouldn't mind being like Bob Ledgerini. I didn't expect it to be like this. Um, and there was that many rock drills when we were both living in Tassie that we used to go. We went to Gympie one year in Queensland. We went to Broken Hill one year, no prize money. And they've gone, why did you come? We've come because we want to come and support your drill, even though you got no prize money. And we've done that to, I think, three or four rock drills. So our airfares, our accommodation, our hire yeah. car, no prize money, we went there to support their drill. Yeah. And we've done that on, I think, four occasions. And the clubs were really happy that we'd done it. And um, that's why Colin and I kept doing it over the years. You know, they fall by the wayside. We wanted to keep rock drilling going. You know, we wanted the new guys coming through to step up to the plate and see how good this was a sport for miners and to try to keep it going because, you know, we can't keep drilling forever. Mm. And even Colin will tell you, he's retired as well. I retired on probably at least four occasions thinking, I've had enough, you know, like what have I got to prove in the, in the rock drilling circuit anymore? I'll, I'll give it away. So you give it away and then 12 months later you go, oh, well, can you come to the drill because we've only got, you know, 20 competitors, you know, it's starting to die. So you go again and and that's how it sort of kept going. And and it, the wins for me, you know, I was just quite happy to win the first ever rock drill at Marvel Lock when I beat Bob Ledgerini. I never expected it to be like this. Yeah. That was just something I never ever dreamed of. Um, I never... I wasn't aiming for it. I was just uh, the competitive side of me um, ended up putting me there. Righto, that concludes part one with Bob Butler. And you'd obviously be going to part two. Why the hell bloody wouldn't you? Thanks again to the sponsors, NTech and Drill Cube. Make sure you check out the Life of Mind patron program to hear some uncut stories from Bub's yarn that are bloody disgusting, I would say. It is revenge at the next level give a full website on youtube and when coming up there's heaps of commentary on all the rock drill videos and we do that highlight videos on the youtube channel uh so you can see what we're bloody talking about head over and have a look right up everyone